Uh, I chose this story partly because I remember hearing about it uh, back in 2004. I had um, the privilege of a guided tour around the British Museum. Has anyone been to the British Museum? It's an amazing place. We are such a wealthy nation, partly because we pillaged other nations and brought their nice things back to our country. But um, <laughs> it is amazing to walk around the British Museum. And uh, we paused when we did this back in 2004 next to a large prism. It was 38.5 centimeters high. It was a six-sided clay document called the Taylor Prism. Hands up if you've seen the Taylor Prism. Oh, so this is all new to, to most of you. I've got a, someone over here that's seen it. Taylor Prism is thought to have been found by Colonel Robert Taylor in 1830, and it was discovered in the ruins of the armory of Nineveh, where it had been deposited in the foundations of the building. The prism is inscribed in Sanskrit on all six sides, and it contains the annals of Sennacherib. It was written down in uh, 691 BC, which is within five years of the story that we've just heard. It lists the destruction of cities and kings in a monotonous repetition until it comes to the story with Hezekiah, where it changes. Here's an extract from the Taylor Prism itself. It says, In my third campaign, I marched against the province of Hatti, wherever that is, Luli, the king of Sidon, whom the terror-inspiring glamour of my lordship had overwhelmed. This is how he writes. He fled far overseas and perished. And then it goes on to talk about Hezekiah. As to Hezekiah the Jew... He did not submit to my yoke. I laid siege to his strong cities, walled forts, and countless small villages, and I conquered them by means of well-stamped earth ramps and battering rams brought near the, brought near the walls, and uh, by attack from foot soldiers using mines, breaches, as well as trenches. I drove out 200,150 people, young and old, male and female, horses and mules, donkeys, camels, big and small cattle, beyond counting, and considered them all slaves. Himself, I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence. I shut him in like a bird in a cage. Full stop. Then he moves on. He's the only king on that entire prison that he says he didn't destroy. He can't say he's destroyed Hezekiah. Neither can he say that his army was weirdly wiped out in the night by an angel of the Lord. You can't do that if you're an Assyrian king. It's just not going to look good on the records. So he simply boasts that at one point he had King Hezekiah trapped in Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. Don't you just love it when archaeology confirms scripture? I love that. Something beautiful about that. So this... Bible story is all about a battle that grows and grows, this big conflict that grows and grows in Hezekiah and the kingdom of Judah in their lives. And it ends really weirdly. It ends with nobody picking up a sword, nobody going out to fight. The Lord goes out on their behalf and destroys this Assyrian army. It was a time when the people of God were told to do nothing. How many of you find it easy to do nothing when you're faced with fear? Some people find this easy, just to kind of wait and hunker down. 
Some of us find it incredibly difficult. So I want to talk mainly to the people who find it difficult. I want to talk mainly to the activists that are in the room, the doers, the problem solvers, those of us that find it really difficult to sit on our hands and do nothing. If you're not sure which of these people you are, just imagine yourself in a traffic jam. Are you the sort of person that just says, it's all right, we're going to get there when we get there. I can't do much about this. Let's just relax. Let's have a chat in the car. Or are you one of those people that starts getting stressed and starts wondering what the cause of the problem is and why aren't the men working on the central reservation? If we're all having to go this slow, they should be working a bit harder and, and trying to work out alternative routes. And then you start doing that thing where you try and go into the fastest lane at the right time. You do that? Hang on, that one seems to go quicker. Quick, let's see if we can get in there. Do you ever do that? Well, you're one of these people that solves the problem. You're an activist. You're one of those people that finds it hard to sit on your hands. And some of us can become a little bit unhinged at those moments. And you know what? Some of us know, need to know when to take our hands off, rather than just trying to solve every problem. To let go and to let God take care of a situation. Hezekiah was miraculously delivered without lifting a finger, and it's an awesome story of deliverance. God saved the day spectacularly, but it wasn't without serious pain. See, Hezekiah only ran to God when he got desperate. He'd lost villages, people, gold from the temple. Did you hear that bit where they'd stripped all the gold out of the temple to give to this sadistic murdering king um, to try and appease him? People were questioning his leadership. It was a disaster. And he left it until there was nowhere else to run before he falls to his knees and asks the Lord for mercy. And the thought occurred to me, do we do that? Do we sometimes leave situations until they're desperate before we will go to God and say, God, help, help. I I, I don't know what to do. Do we just try and fix it? Do we try and compromise? Do we try and appease the situation in the hope that it will go away far too much before we come to God and say, God, I now need you to step in? Hezekiah hadn't cultivated that habit of sharing his problems with God as they come. This had come in waves before we get to this problem where, at this point where Hezekiah seeks the Lord. And do you know what? That's not the way that God's people are supposed to be, as you know. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, say every situation, situation. by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then this instruction is followed by a promise. Then the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. If you want the peace of God to guard your heart and your mind in Christ, you have to learn to share every situation with him. Not just the desperate ones. Not just when we've exhausted all other options. Not just when we've tried to fix it 101 times and it's still broken and it's now beginning to hurt and then we run to God. When Hezekiah finally brought his knee before the Lord, it changed everything. And God graciously answered his prayer. 
Our story says that after Hezekiah received a letter from his enemy and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and he spread out this letter before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed, it said. Why is this important? Let me ask you a question. Did God know what was in the letter before he laid it out before him? Of course he did. Did God know about the 185,000 troops camped outside his front gate? Did God know what was going on in the heart of Hezekiah and all the people locked in Jerusalem? The trauma, the fear, the anxiety, the terror. Of course he does. The scriptures are clear that God already knows everything we need before we ask him. Psalm 139, verses 3 to 5. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue... You, Lord, know it completely. He already knows the prayers that you have to pray. He, he already knows the things that you need to spill out before him when your life is turned upside down and something has come in and caused you fear and anxiety and worry. He knows about it already. Matthew 6, 32, Jesus is teaching us to this very same thing. And he says this. He says, in the same way the, the Lord looks after the birds of the air and he knows what they need, even though they don't know how to ask him, but he makes it his business to know what the birds need, and he feeds them. In the same way, your heavenly Father already knows what you need, even before you ask him. He makes it his business to understand your life in detail, to understand what's going on in, in your mind, to understand what's going on in your heart, to know exactly the emotions that are arising in you and the problems that they're causing you. He knows about it in minute detail, better than you do most of the time. He already knows what we need, 100%. So why did Hezekiah need to show God the letter and pour out his heart? I want you to hear this. It's because the peace of God and the power of God is released through relationship. I'll say it again. The peace of God and the power of God is released through relationship with God. As I read this passage, with all its gut-wrenching buildup of fear and anxiety, when Hezekiah finally seeks God in the temple, I can't help but imagine God saying, Finally, what took you so long? Why have you left it till now to come and share this pressure with me? I don't believe that God is looking for a people who just rock up when they absolutely need him. I don't believe that he wants us to come just when it's a last resort. Jesus is not seeking a bride that only comes and knocks on his door when she's in dire emergency. A wife that lives independently. And only comes seeking her husband when she needs some cash or she needs something fixing. That's not the kind of relationship that God is seeking with his church. Sometimes God is treated like a food bank. Just somewhere to go because you've tried everything else. You've exhausted all your options. And you really, really need some help now. Don't worry, I'm not running down food banks. I think they're wonderful places. You know, they're a real lifeline for a lot of people, and you know, I, I, I'm all for it. But that's not supposed to characterize our relationship with God. We're not supposed to come to God just when we've run out of every other option. What God is looking for is a lot more involved and intimate than that. 
When something even begins to trouble you, he wants to hear it. When you feel the very beginning of a problem, when we get that first pang of concern or that first flicker of worry, that's when he wants us to come. He wants us to chat through our day as those anxieties come on. So that's the first thing I want you to reflect on this week. Do I talk to God only when I've exhausted all other options? Do I treat God like a food bank? Do I need to develop the habit of quickly sharing my, ha- my challenges with the Lord? So that's the first thing. We need to come readily before God. The second thing that I want to draw from this passage is from the faithfulness of Isaiah. Isaiah is, a wonderful, is the wonderful hero of this passage, I think, you know, in lots of ways. Whilst Hezekiah is on his face before the Lord, Isaiah is already listening to God. And Isaiah becomes the answer to Hezekiah's prayer. So before Hezekiah has even finished praying, Isaiah has heard the answer to his prayer from the Lord, and he's making his way towards the temple to, to greet the king. And how cool would it be to be Isaiah in that situation? You've got this exhausted king that has just laid out his, all his needs before the Lord. And uh, he's just coming down the temp- temple steps. And, I, and you can be that one that can come and meet him and say, the Lord has heard your prayer and this is what he's going to do. To watch just the comfort that would come over Isaiah. To watch hope be born in that man's eyes again. To see courage rise. To see strength rise. All of a sudden you've got your king back because the word of the Lord has come and made everything different. What a cool thing to be Isaiah in that situation. And you know what? We get to do that for one another. That's the power of the prophetic gift. If we are willing to listen to God for one another, we can be the answer to other people's prayers. I've had this so many times in my own life. Um, When I have been wrestling with something or I've had a question or I've had something that has been causing me some level of anxiety and someone has been faithful enough to listen to God Hear God say something for me, and then they've bothered to come and tell me and say, I want you to weigh this, but this is what I sense the Lord is saying to you. And it's the very thing that speaks right into the heart of that thing that you've been struggling with. Has anyone had an experience like that? I remember when we were, Mary and I were young, we'd only just been married for about uh, a year, and uh, we really felt like it would be a good idea to try and buy our first house. Uh, we didn't have very much money. We'd had to save up every penny we could to find a deposit for a house. But it was a time when the housing market was kind of peaking. And because there'd been so much um, problems with negative equity and all of this stuff that had happened in the 80s, all of the discussion at the time was around the idea that the housing market would crash. That this boom that there had been back in the late 90s and early 2000s had reached a a ridiculous point and that the housing market was going to crash and it was the worst time ever to buy a house. So we had this conundrum. We felt we should go and buy a house. We felt that this was the right thing to do. It was something we wanted to do. We felt when we prayed about it, it was God's idea. And yet everyone was telling us not to buy a house. We're just going to lose thousands and thousands of pounds if we buy a house right now. And so we were really sweating about this. We were saying, well, God, we feel you're asking us to buy a house. We think this is the right thing to do. Uh, But everyone's telling us not to do it. we, we laid it out before the Lord. And we said, God, we need your word on this. We're not experienced enough at this housing business to know what to do. And we were in a home group, um, a little home group over that met in Lands Cove in a cow shed. Um, 
a wonderful cowshed. It was Roger and Teresa Womack who led it, and they were busy doing up their barn conversions. They were living in the cowshed, and this, this was an awesome little cowshed, not much in it, uh, a few wood burners and uh, some makeshift sofas and stuff. And we used to gather in there as a home group. It was awesome. Roger and Heather Hopper were there as well. I don't think they're here this morning, but they were in the same group. And during the course of that evening, we just had this time of, of prayer where we would just listen to the Lord and share. A, a member of our group called Rowan, lovely lady, really sensed God say to us, to Mary and I, you've been having a question. She said, you've been struggling with something and you've been wondering whether God is saying do it or not do it, yes or no. I just have an overwhelming sense and I just leave it with you that God is saying whatever it is your question, whatever it is you're wrestling with, God says go for it, do it, you'll be fine. We were like, well, that's an answer enough for me. <laughs> that was plenty for us to act on. So we decided, do you know what? We're going to put in an offer on this little house that we found in Buckfast Lee. And I tell you, that was one of the most wonderful places we've ever lived. It was this funny little house on the high street. It was like three rooms, one on top of another. And you go straight in to a kitchen diner, and then there was a living room, and then there was just bedroom and bathroom upstairs. And we were so happy in that little house. We loved it. And you know what? We didn't lose a penny on it. In fact, we made money on that house. Significant chunk of money to be able to then put to our next house that we needed. When, our, when Esther came along and we needed a bigger house, we then had more to work with when we had to buy a bigger house. And the Lord really blessed that decision. How much did we need the word of the Lord, though? Could have gone badly wrong. Sometimes we need that direct word from God where someone has cared enough to listen to the Father on our behalf and has been faithful enough just to come and share it humbly. I sense God may be saying this to you. We don't say, thus says the Lord, you've got to do this. We're not directive with it. But when we share it humbly, it can be an amazing thing. It can strengthen other people. And I've had the privilege of delivering answers to prayer myself um, to a number of people. And it's wonderful. It strengthens us. So if the church of Jesus Christ ever seems weak or afraid, we need to ask ourselves, firstly, are we bringing our needs before the Lord properly? Are we diligent to bring our needs before the Lord? Because God promises if we do that, he will guard our hearts and minds and our courage will rise. Secondly, is the prophetic operating in that church? Because if they are weak and disorientated and terrified, chances are they're not connecting with the voice of God because the voice of God always comes in to strengthen and restore. And you see this in persecuted places around the world where churches are suffering against the most terrible things. They've got every reason in the world to fear. And yet when the word of God comes in, you see believers strengthened in the most incredible way to stand up against the most terrible injustice. We need a prophetic voice of the Holy Spirit so much. So let's make it our habit, not just to share our needs with God, but to listen to God for one another. Amen? Amen. If you sense God wants to say something to someone, don't just dismiss it. Really easy just to wipe that thought away. You can sort of waft it off, can't you? So it could, how many life-changing prophetic words have been killed just because we just decided to bat it away that time? Don't just dismiss it. Say it. Share it humbly. And it might just save someone from calamity. Or it might just open the way for the biggest opportunity in somebody's life. I know, I've known prophetic words prevent suicide. Where someone has been diligent enough to say, do you know what? I just 
felt like God was saying, your life is not over and God loves you. And that person was about to end it because they felt so low and their self-worth was through the floor. And people have given life-saving prophetic words. I've also known prophetic words release entire ministries and vocations because the Lord had begun to say, call someone in a certain direction, but they doubted themselves and it took a prophetic word from God to come in and say, do you know what? You can do this. God is saying, this, this is something that you can run with. And it can be that powerful. It can be life-transforming. So let's be a church of Isaiah's. Do you want to be part of a church that is full of the prophetic voice of God? Yeah. We can't wait for anybody else. Don't wait for it to be said from the front over a microphone, for goodness sake. Let's be obedient to serve one another in this way. What if you could be the answer to somebody's prayer that they prayed on their knees this morning? Isn't that a wonderful thing? Let's release the peace and the courage and the wisdom of the Lord as we listen for one another. Amen? Let's pray.